powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to Friends, Foes, and Neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, as what you are about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show. Prepare yourself for insightful interviews with incredible people. Join us now as we delve ever deeper into the human condition. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Production Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hello, Duvall Nation. Hello. Hey, everybody. Hi. Thank you so much. Please sit. Thank you. Hello, Duvall Nation, and welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. That's right. We are back with another fantastic journey into the lives of extraordinary people. Before we jump into this episode, though, I want to say the biggest thank you to my last guest, Andy Saunders. What a fantastic conversation with a truly remarkable man doing some incredible work with restoring Apollo mission photos to their former glory. I have my fingers crossed that I might be getting Andy's stunning book, Apollo Remastered, for my birthday in two weeks, so we will just have to wait and see. If you haven't heard Andy's fantastic interview, I strongly encourage you to check it out after the conclusion of this episode. Also, one more thing before we introduce today's guest. This past week with Apollo 13 astronaut Fred Hayes' episode 142, well, it broke and continues to break every download record we have kept since we began the show in 2020. Even my mother, who rarely listens to my show, listened to this episode. And I tell you what, folks, I can't thank you enough. So thank you all from the bottom of my heart for listening to that episode. All right. Welcome to episode 144. And we have a great interview with an old friend of mine. We have on the show today, author of the new book, The Absinthe Frappe, Mariel Sanji. Mariel is going to be taking us through the incredible history of absinthe and its strong connection to her home city of New Orleans, Louisiana. Mariel is an absolute delight to speak to, and I can't wait for you to meet her. So let's get her out here. Duval Nation, please join me in welcoming to the show, calling in today from the Big Easy, New Orleans, Louisiana, author of the book, The Absinthe Frappe, Mariel Sanji. Hello, welcome to the Dark Duval Show. How was the weather out by you today? Uh, it's hot, unseasonably hot. Yeah, yeah. Been, yeah, it's in the 80s here and it's New Orleans, so it's humid on top of it and it's just not overly pleasant, unfortunately. Right. I'm ready for it to be just a little bit cooler, more spring, like spring weather. So I start my interviews off the same way. That is, how has it been for you to navigate the COVID-19 pandemic up to this point? It's been interesting. I'm I'm fortunate in that I am a freelance writer. So I was able to conduct a lot of my interviews and talks over Zoom, which saved a lot of us, and over the phone and things like that. But, you know, it's just been the new normal is the term everybody seems to be using. And just taking it a day as it comes, you know, getting the vaxes and wearing the masks and yeah. hoping that everybody follows the, what they're supposed to be, be doing to keep us all healthy. Right. So every journey has a beginning. Where were you born? I always like to grow up there. 
I was born in a suburb of New Orleans where I still live, Gretna. It's uh, just right over the bridge from New Orleans. But I'm very immersed in New Orleans culture, and I have been my entire life. I, it's literally 10 minutes away from the city itself. Mm. So I grew up with the food and culture and music and all of that of New Orleans. And it's really become ingrained in me throughout my life, throughout my 40 years. <laughs> and so I try to reflect that in my work and my writing. Like I said, I'm a freelance writer. Right. I mostly write about local food and culture and interview chefs and people of that nature and people in the restaurant industry and people in the city who are making a difference. Hmm. So that's my focus. Nice. So what are your favorite memories of attending the University of New Orleans? Oh, wow. Well, the University of New Orleans is interesting because it's a commuter school. So it very much feels like high school 2.0, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But it's the type of school where you go and you kind of just get your work done. And I think a lot has changed since I left. But you kind of just go and get your work done and you go home. And there's not too much of a crazy social life. The tricky thing is Katrina hit in 2005 and the University of New Orleans is right on the lake, Lake Pontchartrain. So the school had a lot of damage. So we had to like kind of work around that. There were buildings that were damaged. It took a lot of time to get repaired and a lot I never saw repaired. We had a student center that was nearly destroyed. So that kind of affected, affected everything. But one thing I really liked about University of New Orleans was it was a very well-rounded education. I was a psychology major, but I got an education in a little bit of everything, science, math, writing. I took some anthropology classes that I really enjoyed. And I really have to give UNO credit because they're really, their goal is to create a very well-rounded graduate, which I appreciated. It was a little frustrating at the time when I'm like, well, why do I have to take an art history class? <laughs> but in hindsight, it's done, it's done me a lot of good. You know, you were talking earlier about, you know, what you do, your, all your writing, your freelance writing. What appeals to you the most about writing? You know, I say it all the time. I love meeting people. I love learning about people. And I love hearing people's stories. Everybody has a story. Everybody has, you know, that origin story of, you know, what, what made you want to start cooking? What made you want to start doing what you do? And I love learning about people. And that was really the thing. As much as I love writing, that was the thing that really got me going with the journalism aspect of things. Because, you know, everybody has a story to tell. And I love helping them tell their story. And I love, you know, you know, what's your favorite meal? Like, what was the first meal you had that made you want to be a chef? Or what made you want to open a restaurant? What made you think you could do something like that? And it's just so interesting. So I feel like people always have different answers for that. And yeah, it's just really a love of just learning about people and their story and their history and mm. why they chose to do what they do in life. Now, you have written for several New Orleans-based publications. What do you love so much about New Orleans that it inspires you to write about this city? You know, New Orleans is such a unique city. And I think anybody who's 
who lives here or has visited will tell you that. New Orleans has a spirit in and of itself. We have a very unique culture, our unique food, our architecture, our people, the way we dance, the way we celebrate everything we do is a little different and a little off the beaten path. And, you know, I write about the things I write about is I want to share a piece of that culture, even though I mostly write locally, I want to share a piece of that culture with people outside of the city, you know, people who maybe have never been here. I have people who've written me saying like, reading your articles or reading about the city, things you've written about the city have made me want to visit, have made me want to come try the restaurants, have made me want to go to a second line or a Mardi Gras parade and things of that nature. New Orleans is a very inclusive city. Um, we're very welcoming, but we're very protective of who we are and our culture and our traditions. And the interesting thing about New Orleans is there are so many different cultures and traditions in one city. There's black culture. There's black culture that I'll never understand because it's such a it's such a personal thing to that culture that dates back to enslaved peoples. And that's just, you know, the masking Indians. There's just different parts of New Orleans culture that's so enmeshed with itself. And that's what I love about it. I love that there's so many different things in one place. Kick down this door of stereotypes. Is it true that everyone in New Orleans speaks French? Oh, don't I wish. I I wish I could speak French. No, no, no. Although there are in Lafayette area, not outside of New Orleans, more towards the Texas border, um, there are Cajun French. And those people do speak French, a lot of them. And it's a culture they're trying to keep alive as well. I believe me, I wish I could speak French. And we do have some French immersion schools, but unfortunately, I did not attend one. So, no, all you're going to get out of me is English. Well, I mean, like your first name, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. like is your first name, it sounds French. It is. It is French. Yes. My whole name, Marielle Louise Sanji, is French, which interestingly enough, I did 23andMe and discovered I am only maybe five or six percent French. And I'm ninety percent Irish, which I knew. Which I knew I was Irish, and I knew I had some Irish in me. But I when I was like ninety percent, okay, well, I'll take it. Nice, <laughs> you know, you know. Nice. So, let's dive into your brand new book, dropping April nineteenth, twenty twenty three. The Absinthe Frappe. Am I saying that right? Yes. Yes. All right. Good. So first off, congratulations on the book. Where did the idea come from to write this? Thank you. Well, I was contacted by an editor at LSU by the name of Jenny Keegan, and it's a cocktail series, the iconic New Orleans cocktail series. And there are three other books in the series besides mine, the Sazerac, the Cafe Brulot, and the Vue Carre, which actually just came out on February 15th. And she sent me a list of different cocktails that were invented in New Orleans, like the cocktail a la Louisiane, the grasshopper, the Raffignac, the Brandy Crusta, a few others. And she said, we're doing this book series and I really would like you to be a part of it. So look over this list and let us know if there's any of these cocktails that appeal to you. So I'm looking it over and I saw the absinthe frappe. 
I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I, I'm familiar with absence, but I was not, admittedly, I was not familiar with the absence frappe. I believe I had heard of it, but I really couldn't have told you anything about it. So I started doing some research and I determined, wow, you know, absence has such a rich history dating back to the mid to late 19th century. And I felt like this is a story I would really like to tell because it's it links back to New Orleans because New Orleans was such an absinthe epicenter in the late 19th early 20th century so I figured okay I can write about the history of absinthe and the artists and the invention of the frappe and of course it was banned and the ban was lifted so it was really a rich history and I thought it would make for a really interesting book and I'm really, really excited about the book. And I think that whether you are, you drink or not, even if you don't drink, if you enjoy history, I think it's really something that you're going to enjoy reading. So full disclosure, when I was in the Navy, and this is going back to 2004, we were in Victoria, Canada. And we went to this bar. It was, a, it was an Irish bar. And sure enough, they had absinthe. Oh. And we're like, do we try? I mean, you know, went in Rome and we tried and I had no, none, none of the weird little effects or that. Nothing. Yeah, sure. <laughs> like, all right, well, that was cool. What's, what do we do next? You know, it's kind of like, you know, what have you. But yeah, that's, I, I tell people all the time, like, oh, I tried that. What was it like? I'm like, yeah, it was okay. Sure. Yeah, nothing crazy. So it, sure. It's a drink that is, you know, so many people don't know much about it because mm -hmm. the ban was only lifted in 2007. So I think so many people still think, oh, my God, if I drink it, I'm going to hallucinate and right. green berries and this and that. And it's like, I, I mean, I hate to disappoint you, but no, it's just a regular oh. alcohol like anything else. You know, it's, it'll make you feel a little bit tipsy, a little bit relaxed. It's strong. I would suggest mixing it into a cocktail is, if you're just getting started with it. But as far as all those myths go of green fairies and hallucination, that's just not true. Unfortunately, <laughs> I think people just drank it. And the fact of the matter is, and I say this in the book, it was really strong. People were just throwing it back. And I think they were just getting blitzed, right. <laughs> you know? So they thought they were seeing green fairies and they thought they were hallucinating, but it's like, no, they were really just really drunk. Mm. Cause these are people who were used to drinking wine. Right. And they, they could pound the wine back and it really didn't do anything. So they're drinking the absence. Like they drank wine and it had gr not so great effects sometimes. Right. So growing up in New Orleans, how much did your love of the city play in drafting the contents of this book? Oh, completely. Because, you know, uh, first and foremost, it's part of the iconic New Orleans cocktail series. And then, you know, like I said before, absinthe has such a connection to New Orleans because it, New Orleans was the absinthe epicenter in the United States in the late 19th and early 20th century. There was a huge French population here and they were French people who were still loyal to the old country. So they wanted to do everything that they were doing in France. So because absinthe was so popular in France, it became popular here among the people who had come over. And not just that, but the creation of the old absinthe house, which obviously capitalized on this love of absinthe and the popularity of absinthe. And then moving on to the current days of when absinthe was legalized, a New Orleanian, Ted Bro, had a hand in that. And it, he's the reason that 
absinthe was legalized when it was because he's the one who did all this research. He has this biochemistry background. He was fascinated by the history of absinthe and he wanted to discover, well, why was it banned? You know, they said that all this bad stuff was in it. And fortunately, he had the wherewithal to be like, let me run some tests. So that little link to New Orleans as well is really, really cool. So I just felt like there was this common thread mm-hmm. to New Orleans, between New Orleans and Absinthe. Okay, Duval Nation, we're going to go ahead and take a small break right here, but we will be right back with the conclusion of this interview with Mario Sanji. May I suggest you take this time to refresh that drink and take some super long deep breaths. You know, <laughs> that's right, Clouseau style. Please give your attention to a few friends of my show, and we will be right back. Enjoy listening to podcasts and ever wonder, can I make a podcast? But it seems so complicated, and good audio production can take time. What if there was a way to create an amazing podcast easily? Well, now there is. Introducing Podcasting Made Easy from Podcasting Audio. My production team will handle your entire audio production, allowing you to be the star of your show. This is Podcasting Made Easy. How easy? Well, so easy, you don't even have to press record. Now that's easy. Your listeners are waiting. Let's deliver. Sign up for a free strategy call today at podcasticaudio.com slash easy. Duval Nation, Derek and Mindy Duval here to talk about Jerky Pro, the standard in premium beef jerky products. The Derek Duval Show and Derek and Mindy's Fun With Movies is proud to be sponsored by the team at Jerky Pro. As a veteran, I am always the first to support veteran-owned businesses. Setting up shop in 1987 and founded by military and paramilitary veterans, they have set the bar for how beef jerky is processed, flavored, packaged, and sold. With strict quality control standards, Jerky Pro offers many flavors that are sure to please any beef jerky connoisseur. From the standard original flavor to honey glazed, peppered, teriyaki, sweet barbecue, or if you're brave enough, the fierce red hot, there are many flavors guaranteed to entice your palate. Offered in various sized packaging, use promo code DUBAL37, all in capital letters, at checkout to receive a 5% discount. Remember, folks, if your beef jerky is not making your mouth water, then it's not Jerky Pro Beef Jerky. Jerky Pro, the standard in premium beef jerky products. Hey there, this is Frankie Ray, and you're listening to The Derek Duvall Show. My latest single, Over Now, is available on all streaming platforms. Hope you like it. Hi, I'm Kay. And I'm Jay. We all know that a lot of us spend most of our waking hours at work. So naturally, the majority of our stories come from the many different characters and situations we run into at the workplace. Because of this, we bring you the My Work Life Podcast. On this podcast, we will be sharing your stories from the workplace, no matter what they may be, so we can all laugh and commiserate together. Does someone at work have horrible habits? 
crazy bosses that have no idea what they're doing. Hilarious blow-ups from coworkers. Even if you just need to rant, we want to hear it. Everything will be completely anonymous, so don't be afraid to spill your guts. That's right. All names of people and companies will not be disclosed, so send us your best. No story is too small. Email your stories to fmwlpod at gmail.com. That's fmwlpod at gmail.com. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so be sure to subscribe or follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your pods. For more fun content, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at FMWLPod. We can't wait to hear from you. Bye. Bye. In today's story, Elena tried taking a magic potion which she thought would help her. Well, she found out there aren't any magic potions. And you know what? There aren't any magic drugs either. Anytime you take one from anybody but your parents or your doctor, you're taking a very big chance. You're gambling with your health, maybe even your life. Drugs don't make your problems go away. They just create more. Teachers, do you ever have these feelings or have been told these things? Do you want Kleenex for your classroom? Maybe you should think about buying your own with your own money. You get the summer off, you can have a second job. Do you really need a pay raise? Oh, do you need to use the restroom? Maybe you can do that in the three minutes while students are changing classes. Boy, sure hope your room doesn't descend into Lord of the Flies in that time. Oh, things are going pretty good for one. Surprise! Budget cuts. Well, you're in luck because we've got a book just for you. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Kinder, educator, speaker, and author of Untold Teaching Truths. I invite you to purchase my book and join this journey as we talk about the wild world of public education. Part memoir, part strategy. It is available on BookBaby, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. Teach on Warriors. We've got this. Hey, it's Presley Tennant, and you're listening to The Derek Duvall Show. You can find my brand new EP, 600 Miles, on all streaming platforms right now. Everyone, this is Janae Sergio, life coach, combat veteran, and best-selling author. I invite you to purchase my new book, Perfectly Flawed: A Veteran's Journey from Homeless to Hero. In these pages, you will learn about the lowest struggles of my life to the absolute triumphs that have made me the strong woman I am today. Follow along as I talk about homelessness, my naval role in Operation Enduring Freedom, navigating insurmountable odds, and how I dealt with and overcame them. You can find Perfectly Flawed on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Welcome back to episode 144 of the Derek Duvall Show. Let's get right back to it with the conclusion of our interview with author of the book, The Absinthe Frappe, Mario Sanji. Your book culminates with the creation of the iconic cocktail. How long did it take you to do the research for this book? 
It took a few months. I was very fortunate in that I had some books to work from, which I mentioned in my book. The biggest one being Absinthe History in a Bottle by Barnaby Conrad III. That book is considered the Bible of Absinthe. This is a man who in the 80s lived in Europe for years researching all the history of absinthe, everything, like everything dating back. And if it wasn't for him, if it wasn't for his work, we wouldn't have any of this information because it took somebody really diving in and just submerging themselves in this absence culture for these years and years and years. I was very fortunate to have access to speaking with Ted Bro, who helped lift the ban on absence, as well as Liz Williams at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum, who is very knowledgeable in absinthe. And there is actually an absinthe mini museum in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum, which was just, you know, has all kinds of absinthe artifacts, which was just an amazing, amazing resource. And I'm fortunate that I live in a city where there are a lot of knowledgeable people about cocktail and food culture and absinthe history and things of that nature. We have the historic New Orleans collection and so I was very lucky in the sense that my research was actually pretty on the easier side because I had all these resources right at my fingertips. If I didn't live here in New Orleans, I think it would have been a lot more difficult. For my listeners who don't know, what was the driving force to lifting the ban on absence? The driving force was the ban was <laughs> ridiculous. It was fueled originally by a lot of myth and rumor and propaganda. The long and short of it was wine was the big drink in France. And the great French wine blight decimated wine fields. It was an aphid, it was an aphid, yes, called phylloxera that was eating the roots of wine plants. So as a result, wine went up in price. Absinthe was around, absinthe was cheaper. People started drinking absinthe. Well, no one was drinking so much absinthe that it was putting any kind of threat on the winemakers, but the winemakers didn't like the competition. They got nervous. And so they started saying, well, you know, what's causing alcoholism, what's causing the problems is distilled liquor, specifically absinthe. Well, well, what about wine? Isn't that alcohol? Well, wine's, you know, that's a that's part of the meal. That's, you know, that's a that's a whole different thing, you know, of course. So there was a doctor named Dr. Magnan who was doing research into absinthe. And there's a chemical in absinthe called fusion. It's in very small amounts. But he was injecting these lab animals with fusion. And of course, naturally they're dropping dead, which Seems like, of course, that's something that would happen if you inject a chemical, enough of a chemical into anything. Right. But that was his, that was his, you know, reason for saying, see, it's dangerous. It's like, this is what's good. This is what's causing people to go crazy. This is what's causing the hallucination. So between the wine propaganda and this doctor's research, people really, really started freaking out. And so to come back to your original question, Ted Bro who took an interest in absinthe that decided to take it upon himself to like do the research 
test the absinthe and he found like, no, the thujone in absinthe is such in small trace amounts. It's not going to cause anyone to die. It's not going to cause anyone to hallucinate. And you will die of alcohol poisoning before you die of any sort of thujone overdose or anything of that nature. Dispel for my listeners the most ridiculous rumor about absinthe. Hmm. Well, obviously, the number one rumor about absinthe is it'll make you crazy. If you drink enough of it, you'll you're going to do crazy things. You're going to see fairies. You're going to hallucinate. You know, that's that's silly stuff. But like I said, it's just a regular alcohol like anything else. Mm -hmm. It's not going to make you crazy. It'll make you a little tipsy if you drink enough of it. But other than that, it's it's safe. And and I do want to point out that. And a lot of people, another thing that I discovered in my research, a lot of people don't realize is the absinthe you can buy today, the good absinthe, the certified good absinthe is the same type of absinthe that people drank in the late 19th, early 20th century. It has the same ingredients. It has wormwood in it. Yes, it's legal. I know a lot of people I've met who said, well, you know, the absinthe that's out today isn't the same because it has no wormwood in it. It's like, no, it has wormwood in it. It's the same as it was. Now, there are some cheap non-absence out there that are labeled as absence because absence does not have any regulation on it. So some companies will put vodka in a bottle and diet green and say, oh, it's absence. That's not legitimate absence. But true, true absence is the same kind of absence that they drank back in the 19th century. So absence use has been glorified movies and television. Why do you think that is? You know, I think it has that mystical, it's an interesting thing. I think especially because it was banned for so long, it was kind of this forbidden thing. And, you know, we like things that are forbidden. We like things that we're told, ooh, we shouldn't, we shouldn't have that. And so I think when they put it in these movies and, you know, a big one, <laughs> oh, one that really irks people is that movie, um, I think it's the movie From Hell with Johnny Depp because he drinks the absinthe and then he lights it on fire, which is a huge no-no. You'd never do that. Like, is that the one where he's chasing Jack the Ripper? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. All right. yeah I know that. And movie. man, I've talked to so many of these absinthe experts who are like, oh, that movie, you know, you don't, you're not supposed to light it on fire and people light it up. Some people light it on fire, which is like an awful, awful thing. You don't, you don't do that. It's just. <laughs> It's pointless, and it's such a thing for show. And what drives me crazy is at Old Absinthe House here in New Orleans, that's how they prepare it. They light it on fire because it's for the tourists. You know, they want the yeah, tourists yeah. to be like, ooh. Yeah. But, yeah, I think it's in movies because it's an interesting, mysterious thing. But I don't mind seeing it in movies as long as it's prepared correctly and not <laughs> lit, lit on fire. <laughs> nice. So for those who have been lucky enough to read The Absinthe Frappe up to this point, what has the overall response been? Really good. Really good. The feedback has been really good. And um, you know, people are learning a lot, which is exciting. And I think that people didn't realize how much absence touches a little bit of everything. Like it touches the writing world. It touches the art world. It's science. It's history. So it's, there's a little something for everybody in it, which is, you know, what I wanted when I set out to write the book. That's awesome. All right. So I would not be doing my job if I did not bring up the fact that you are an incredibly successful model. Oh, how, thank you. How many years have you been doing that now? Oh, I've been doing it since 2008. And I don't, do it, I don't do it as often anymore, but I did it for a really, really long time. And yeah. 
you know, I've always enjoyed that creative side of it and just getting dressed up and getting pretty and having your picture taken, you know, and mm -hmm. I never set out to like make any money. And God knows I never made enough money to call it even a job, but <laughs> it was always a fun hobby. And it's something that, you know, is a creative outlet for sure. And I still do it every now and then. What appeals to you most about modeling? Just being able to play dress up, you know, there's just nothing like whether you're putting your own look together or someone's helping you with it, just that creative side of it, especially when I first started out just coming up with different ideas for photo shoots and different ways to express myself and things like that. And of that nature, it was just a really a lot of fun. And it That's was, awesome. I just saw it as a creative outlet and a really fun hobby. And it was a really cool way to meet people. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. All right. What's the best piece of advice that anyone has ever given you? Oh, man. I think the best piece of advice anyone's ever given me is take the time to look around and appreciate what you have now. Because you never want to look back and say, oh, man, I had this going on. I had that going on. I wish I had been a little more aware. I wish I had appreciated my creativity. I wish I had appreciated my health. I wish I had appreciated my friends and my family and things like that. Like just kind of, you know, look to the future, look to the past, but live in the moment and appreciate what you have in this moment is mm. probably the best advice I've ever gotten. Current day, Mario gets to talk to her younger self. What do you say to her? Oh man. Well, I'd say... You're going to figure it out because for a long time, I didn't really know what my future held. I really didn't know. You know, I like I said earlier, I was a psychology major at University of New Orleans. And as much as I enjoyed that, I wasn't 100% sure if that's what I wanted to do for a living. And I always enjoyed writing and I always enjoyed telling people stories and things of that nature. And I just didn't know how to do that. And I just didn't know how to get a foot in the door in that field. And so I would tell my younger self, like, you're going to get there. You might feel like you're wandering right now, but in the end, it's going to be okay. And hopefully, you know, in another 20 years, I'll be able to say something similar to me now, because I feel like I'm still growing and learning and finding my way. So what's next for Mario? Oh, hmm. Well, I'm going to continue doing my local writing and journalism and things of that nature. And, you know, my fiance is always saying, well, what is your next book going to be about? I'm like, geez, let's just get this book out and going, <laughs> going, you know, but I would like to write another book and I have some ideas, which I'll keep to myself at the moment. But yeah, I definitely plan to continue with the writing and hopefully come up with something interesting to share with everyone. Awesome. So as we enter the final phase of the interview, I always like to ask one fun question. And that is, you know, when you aren't writing, modeling, whatever it is, you know, that you're doing at the time, what do you like to do for fun? How do you relax? I love to ride my bike. I discovered cycling in 2017, at the end of 2017, and I just started doing it just for fun. And I still just do it for fun. I don't, I'm not in any like races or anything like that, but I ride my bike each and every single day. And it's just become a type of therapy for me. I can just get on the bike and think and get the fresh air and get some sun 
and it's become my form of exercise, my daily form of exercise and something that I truly enjoy. And it's as simple as just biking around my neighborhood, but just getting out of the house. And a lot of times because I work at home and, you know, I am a freelance writer. And so I don't see a lot of people face to face. It's just nice to get out of the house and just remember that like, I am a part of the world and, right. <laughs> you know, get some air and some sun. So that's something I've really come to love and enjoy. I was in love with cycling until 2016. And what I used to do is I used to ride the uh, Riverside Trail, which was 10 miles one way, 10 miles back. So 20 mm -hmm. miles a day. And one day they decided to close down the trail and I just lost all interest in it. Oh, and, I, yeah, it's so and the bike is still in my garage. It's like every time I walk in, it's like, you know, ride me, ride me. And I'm like, yeah. oh, you know, but is what it is. Maybe one day I'll, I'll get, I'll figure it out and get back on it. So yeah, you just have to find the right spot because I realize not everybody, I'm fortunate. I have a really, you know, quiet neighborhood and I could just bike around, but you just, the, the secret is just to find a really nice spot that you can just ride like a straight shot. Yeah. <laughs> Even if it's for 30 minutes, just something, but it's a lot if you're not in a bikeable way to get to that, you know, cause then you have to put it in your car or load it up on your car. And I know yep. it's a whole it's not as simple for everyone. I can appreciate it. Wow. So what would be the best way for my listeners to follow your adventures online? I am at the Nola chick on Twitter. I am at just Nola chick on Instagram. And those are my two main ones. Yeah. You know, yeah. Those are the two ones I keep up with the most. I've known you so long. I figured you could trademark that name by now. <laughs> I really should. I really should. <laughs> so I am my interviews with my favorite question. And the question is this. If the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, would it be the one thing you would like to say to the people of Earth? The people of Earth, I would like you to be a lot more chill about things. <laughs> Don't take things so seriously. Laugh. Treat people well. Take your day a day at a time and just don't overthink it. <laughs> That's my biggest advice. Just don't overthink it. Nice. The book is The Absinthe Frappe, available on April 19th, 2023, and up for pre-order on Amazon, Barnes Noble, LSU Press, or wherever you get your books online. Mario, my old friend, congratulations on the book, and it's always a delight to talk to you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. I had a great time. And just like that, Duval Nation, we come to the end of episode 144. I want to thank my friend Mario Sanji for taking the time to come on the show and talk about her exciting book. I've read it, and it's a stellar read. I encourage everyone to buy the book, and a link to do so will be in the show notes. Okay, tune in again next time as we showcase another extraordinary person. I have a really good one coming up in a few days, so be sure to keep checking your favorite podcast streaming channel for that episode to drop. Also, I think it's fair to ask you, the listener, have you enjoyed this episode? I truly hope you have, so please go hit that subscribe button to keep up to date for when new episodes drop. Also, if you're feeling generous, drop us a review. We love reading what our listeners have to say about us, good or bad. We are still enjoying our partnership with the amazing Tee Public. The Derek Duvall Show has a great little store on there. And with everything with our logo on it, including magnets, stickers, and mugs. Plus, we have some really fun t-shirts on there that Mrs. Duvall and I added. I'm constantly adding new ones all the time. So please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com. Go to the banner on the left that says Merch. Click that. 
and you will be taken to our store on TeePublic. And once again, I want to thank TeePublic for being such great partners with the show. On behalf of myself and the entire team here at The Direct of All Show, I want to say to each and every one of you listening, fingers crossed for SpaceX's maiden flight of Starship today into the upper atmosphere. Man, is this a time to be alive and interested in the space program. All I want to hear on Monday are two words. Go flight. No star, God bless, and see you next time. Planet Earth. This has been a recording of The Derek Duvall Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com, for links to merchandise and to explore past episodes. Please find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Derek Duvall Show.